So people are now just coming back to the gazebo. But very unsanitary conditions for the longest time. The gentle humming you're hearing are generators. But that's how people charge their phones and cook now. They have to get one of the generators. And that was done by the mayor so people would leave. Felicia Rangel Samponado is one of the few American volunteers who cross into Mexico to help in the migrant camps there. She's someone that the American media usually doesn't associate with Latino immigrant rights. I identify as a Black woman, even though I'm part Mexican. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, January 21st, 2022. Felicia Rangel Samponado lives in Brownsville, right on the southernmost tip of Texas. She confounds both Mexican and American border officials by just being. She's an Afro-Latina, daughter of a Black mother and a Mexican-American father. Her biracial background helps when it comes to the work Felicia is doing with migrants at the border. But it also causes her problems. Felicia let LA Times Houston bureau chief Molly Hennessy Fisk follow her around for a day as she helped both Black and Latino migrants and Afro-Latino migrants, of course. Many of them were asylum seekers from Central America and Haiti stuck in migrant camps at the border in Reynosa, Mexico, which is just across the border from Hidalgo, Texas. Molly, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. So the first time you met Felicia Rangel Samponado, where were you and what was she doing? So this was several years ago when asylum seekers first started arriving in groups at the Texas border. And it was when Trump started metering and families were living on the Gateway Bridge for maybe like a week or two. I thought that was awful. And it was awful. And I met her on the other side of the bridge in Matamoros, Mexico, where she was helping some of the migrants. It was the wintertime. It was really cold. And she and other volunteers from the U.S. side, from Brownsville, Texas, had crossed the bridge bringing supplies. And this was before there were any NGOs, there was a name for anybody. It was just a group of strangers crossing. What struck you about her when you first met her? Well, as I got to know her over the years, what struck me was, number one, she's pretty much the only Black activist who was working with migrants in that part of the border in South Texas, one of the only ones who was crossing on a regular basis, and then just watching how she navigated the politics of that and working with other volunteers, but also with migrants of various races. I know how it looks. So that's where being biracial, you never really fit in, right? I am Black, but I have to tell Black asylum seekers I'm Black because they don't realize it. And with Mexican officials, I have to tell them I'm Mexican because they don't realize it. So <laughs> it's um, it's helped out, definitely, definitely. Especially, I mean, on both sides. When people know that you are like them, it makes them nicer to you. We'll be right back. So earlier, we heard a little about how Felicia sees her racial identity. And in you talking to her over the years, you asked her to explain it a bit more. 
Yeah, I hadn't known in all the years that I'd been working with her and interviewing her for sort of breaking news stories. I had not known about her background, that her father was Latino, that her mom was Black. So we only speak English. And that was at the request of my father. Before he died, he wanted us to be true Americans. So she explained that to me and talked about why she identifies the way that she does. The other question I was going to ask you was about how did your family identify racially and how do you identify and did that change over time? No one's ever asked me that. When we were younger, we identified as biracial, me and my sisters, and we were Mexican and Black. As we got older, we realized we are actually Black. But of course, I still tell people I am biracial because I am. But I don't know anything about the Mexican culture, or I didn't until I moved to Brownsville, Texas. We were never exposed to any of that. I mean, there's a lot that goes behind all of being biracial in this country. I used to joke that I am the two things that our country hates the most. I'm a Black person and I'm Mexican two races that the U.S. wants out and gone. So Felicia now helps asylum seekers at the border, but not too long ago, she was sort of this pretty normal suburban Texas stay-at-home mom. Yeah, the way she told it to me, she talked about how she had been, you know, wearing Lululemon and sending her son to private school and that that all changed once she first met those migrants on the border. She couldn't just go back to her regular life. The first time I crossed, oh, it was because I saw my friend's post on Facebook. He's a Pokemon buddy of mine. I'm a huge Pokemon fan. And that friend had posted about going to volunteer with the migrants and she hadn't ever thought of doing that before and thought, oh, well, I'll just go. And it became a real turning point for her. When we crossed into Mexico, in my mind, because, because I think I am an American, I was just thinking this very dangerous place and I was really, really scared. But the asylum seekers were living on the bridge at that time. And at that time, I think there was like maybe 20 people. And it was cold. And it was just sad. And there were children involved. We brought dinner and you could tell they hadn't eaten. There wasn't food coming in from anywhere else. And they didn't have money to buy food. So... That's when I went again. Not only did she not go back to her suburban existence, there was an evolution that was going on in the way that she saw her life and it became all about working with migrants. And when people in her life, like her husband, were not completely dedicated to that, then she moved on. She got a divorce and focused all of her life on her work her son, getting him involved a little bit. He has crossed with her. I mean, it really is an, an all-absorbing endeavor for her. That's what kept me going. It was very clear they weren't going to eat if we did not provide food for them. 
the same way like it was cold the blankets they had were the blankets we brought the hats they had on were the hats we brought it was freezing as I wore my really warm Ugg boots my really nice coat from Lululemon my really nice pants from Lululemon and my Lululemon shirt if you know Lululemon those things cost hundreds of dollars just the, the jacket alone cost hundreds I felt awful That breakthrough pushed Felicia out of her suburban bubble. She ended up starting a nonprofit that educates migrant kids and provides other services. Yes, she used her savings to support her nonprofit that first year. And then after that, she started getting grants and more support from donations. And at this point, she now has employees and is starting a shelter. So Felicia's new life as a migrant activist has also gotten her into some pretty scary situations. Yes, working on the other side of the border, in particular in these cities, Matamoros and then now Reynosa, where a lot of volunteers are not crossing from the U.S. side because of the danger. She's had to navigate that working with Mexican officials and also migrants and, and trying to keep those she works with safe. So during the past year, there have been large groups of Haitian migrants who have come up to the border and Felicia has been trying to help them. And in some cases, these caravans of people were just walking by the side of the road. I mean, it was just so many people lined up, up and down this highway with the Mexican military blocking it off initially. And they were even encouraging passerbys to pick up the Haitian asylum seekers just to get them off that highway. We did pick up three families. It was a newborn and two little boys under the age of six. Customs officers had her and her co-director, Victor Cavazos, who's Latino, get out of the car. They surrounded us, like 50 Mexican military in full riot gear with machine guns surrounding my car, telling us to get out. And I was like, okay, well, what's the problem? What's going on? Why is all this necessary? And they told me and Victor that they could arrest us if we did not back off. She had picked up those families, but then she got stopped by Mexican authorities and they made her let the families go and then they took them into custody, who then sent them to another state and she had to send assistance to them remotely and it was pretty frustrating. Those families, I stayed in touch with them. They're still overstuck in their crews. After the break, how Felicia navigates her Black and Latina identity to fight racism on both sides of the border. Molly, Felicia Rangel Samponado is she's used to racism north of the U.S.-Mexico border. Yes, she grew up in Houston, and then she moved down to the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, which is where actually her mom is from. And so she had known the stories that her mom had told her, but then she experienced it firsthand once she moved to the valley. And she told me about being called the N-word a lot of times there by Latinos and what that felt like. Brownsville is a very racist place. I had never been called the N-word so much until I moved here. To my face, 
which was actually pretty surprising coming from other minorities, which I would also tell them as well. From one minority to the other, you should be ashamed of yourself. People who have called me the N-word or use the N-word around me in Brownsville. I always let them know, once you leave your little bubble of the valley, and if you ever went to Houston or another major big city here in the U.S., you will be looked upon the same way you are looking at me. Please know that. Usually they just stand there and I walk away. In the border town where Felicia's doing her volunteer work, she also told you that there's a lot of local stores run by Mexicans that won't sell to black migrants. And she said a lot of employers won't hire them. Taxis won't drive them. Landlords refuse to rent them. But that's where Felicia steps in to help. That's right. So a lot of times when she crosses to Mexico, it's an interesting contrast because on the U.S. side in South Texas, people assume she's black. But on the Mexico side of the border, a lot of people, both migrants and local folks, assume that she's Mexican. She will sort of pass as Latina in order to get all these things done for the migrants as much as she can. So black asylum seekers have it incredibly hard. Victor and I are the face for Black asylum seekers in regards to apartments. You see our face first and we pay the landlord and then we bring in the Black asylum seekers to live there. That's how we do it. Like right now, we're housing close to either 20 or a little bit over 20 Haitian families. I can't even imagine how much it must wear on Felicia to deal with all this anti-Blackness. And she told you, Molly, that sometimes she even experiences it from the very people she's trying to help. But what I also think is so powerful about her story is that she uses her identity as a Black woman to challenge that anti-Blackness. That's right. She will hear migrants telling racist jokes and stop them and explain to them that she's Black and that she doesn't like it when people tell those kinds of jokes. And she thinks about the hierarchy of race in the countries that people are coming from. And she understands that, but she also sees it, these moments as teachable moments. And she doesn't want to just sit there silently and let things pass. In Matamoros, it was really bad. Just all type of black jokes. And then words that in the U.S. we haven't used since the 50s or 40s. Those are common words in Mexico still today. They still have those Piccanini dolls over there in Mexico that people still think are cute. And if I ever see that in people's apartment, I mean, it's your apartment, but if I'm paying the rent, I let you know my disdain for that and what that means to me. So, you know, do what you want to do in your own home. Beyond her identity, though, Felicia is just one of the few American volunteers, period, willing to cross into Reynosa. That's not an easy trek. You talked about those difficulties in a previous episode of The Times. Why does Felicia continue to do that particular difficult work? Well, she sees this need and she has been doing it for so many years in Matamoros and now in Reynosa that she feels like she has the contacts and the ability to get things done. But it still takes negotiating, for instance, She's been trying to open this shelter in Reynosa to get the migrants out of this encampment that they're stuck in. They've been camped all year in a, a square in the middle of town that leaves them pretty vulnerable, not just to the elements, but also to crime. In trying to start this shelter, the local authorities had said, well, you can 
have a shelter in this building, but you're only going to be able to accept, we'll only let you accept Central American families. And she stood up to them and said, no, I'm going to house all the migrants, including Black migrants. And they eventually caved, and that's what she's in the process of doing. I do wish more Black activists, churches, the Black caucus would get involved in what's happening here on the border. There are other Black organizations. It's just so few of us is the problem. So wherever we are, all of us are stretched thin, all of us. But it would be great if other people were there to carry the weight and to share it. So since you've known her for years, Molly, how have you seen Felicia's life change? I think Felicia wants to be more open about not just the work that she's doing, but who she is as she's doing it, being biracial and what that means to her, both to help the people around her get a better sense of what it means to be biracial, the microaggressions, how racism works on the border. And that includes the kids in her school that she runs in, also even her son. I wish more people cared about what happened to Black asylum seekers. Their lives matter just as much as Central Americans or anybody else's life. And what they go through is a lot harder and tougher than a Central American asylum seeker or a white asylum seeker. And do I think other people would advocate for Black asylum seekers? I don't know. All my colleagues are white. So I don't know. But I know me, Felicia, I am Black. These are my people. Stop. Like, stop deporting them, please. Molly, thanks for this conversation. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, a California Native American tribe preserves its language, cruise ships, and COVID-19, and the first female president of Honduras. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Lauren Rabb and Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman like what you're listening to, then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next week with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.